Welcome to the Swapflex Podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. I am James Cohn. And I'm Hannah Rassinen. And we are recording in James and Hannah's living room in Mid-City, New Orleans. This is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swamp Flicks, Spooky Edition Part Ooh. 2. Oh. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Last time we all saw each other was on a streetcar away from the Death Grips concert yeah. in downtown New Orleans. I think we could barely hear each other. <laughs> we were all talking very loud. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. we had not fully recovered from my the My body had sound. to recover for like yeah. a couple days. Actually, I could not walk correctly for a few days just from jumping up and down yeah. too much. My yeah. calves were like rock solid for like at least 72 hours. Yeah, that was a wild show. Yeah. People were openly doing uh, hard drugs in the middle of the mosh pit. Yeah. It was wild. The, I think this is more about me and and my exposure to things, but that was the first time I've ever seen that happen. I was so, like, oh, uh, and just... The, the couple doing yeah. cocaine in the yeah. middle of the... Yeah. I will say that's better etiquette than I've seen from most Death Grips concerts online, just from anecdotal mm. evidence. Uh, right. There were two instances of people peeing on the dance yeah. floor before we saw them. And then just this past weekend, they quit playing halfway into their set because people were throwing water bottles and yeah. glow sticks at them while they were performing. Really? Yeah. Which is a band that is like hostile to their audience. Like, have you ever seen Death Grips? They do not chat. There's no opening band. They just punish you with like music for 90 minutes. <laughs> I thought leave. it was the most punk. Yeah. Show up scene in like a long time to show up, perform your set, leave, no playing with the audience or any of that. It was just like, it was badass. I appreciated it. I thought it was efficient and respectful of my time. <laughs> it was great. It was spooky season appropriate too, because both times I saw them, they did this, but it's like only red light. Yeah. They're mostly backlit, so you can't even get a good look at them really. And it's just demonic music coming out of three people like assaulting you where yeah. like everyone's kind of dancing to like the more fun tracks at the beginning and kind of like every time we've ever seen zach hill drum and different bands over the years like people are just worn out by the end like yeah it, like really just drains you of your life force. yeah and he still has like energy oh yeah he's a machine which is insane yeah it was, it was good good introduction into the spooky season and felt very communal in a good way like it felt like stepping into a different world where like I break mirrors with my face in the United States is like a Taylor Swift level, like radio hit. Like everyone was like excited to hear these <laughs> like obscure, nasty dance rap tracks. Yeah. Very fun. I do want to billboard something I mentioned last episode that I did not do a great job of promoting. <laughs> so I'm going to be much clearer this time. ACAB Zine Fest, that is Arts, Crafts, and Books Zine Fest, <laughs> is at Gasa Gasa. This coming weekend, Sunday, October 22nd, I believe from 11 to 5. There's live music in the afternoon. Swampflex will have a table there. I made two new zines for this festival. One is movies I happened to be watching in early pandemic when I had a lot of free time on my hands to make zines. And the other is a collection of reviews Boomer and I did of all the Suspiria movies. So cool. the original Suspiria, it's two sequels, it's remake. So yeah, if you're in the New Orleans area, come to Gasa Gasa, Sunday the 22nd. I have horror-themed zines to sell. And tell us you listen to the podcast. We have no idea who yeah. any of you people are, except my mother-in-law. I know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> I, won't, I won't be at the table because I know that there's going to be a lot of people vying for autographs, photographs, <laughs> and I just don't need that attention. But I'm very excited to go there and see what everybody is doing. 
What I really want is people to come up with um, rebuttals to my worst takes. <laughs> like a laundry list of the times I was yeah, wrong. Like a, like a challenge Brandon booth. <laughs> yeah, debate me. <laughs> so I've been doing a lot of zine prep. Not a lot of movie watching per se uh, for that festival. What have y'all been watching since the last time we talked? Well, we actually went out to Broad on Friday to see uh, Nightburn Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors. Definitely one of the best of that franchise, for I, sure. I think it's my favorite of the whole franchise. But yeah, they're showing like that and uh, Friday the 13th, Jason Takes Manhattan. And uh, I think they're also showing opera and... Um, Bird with the Crystal Plumage. And yeah. Deep Red. Yeah. And Deep Red, yeah. Yeah, they had a whole series of like Candyman, Scream, Dream yeah. Warriors, like all the greats. And then the, like... I think because the Taylor Swift movie pushed out a lot of open space in the release schedule, like all these major studios pulled their stuff back. Mm -hmm. They're like, fuck it. We're going to throw in three Argento movies too, which is fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, we went on Friday to see it and it's fantastic. I I really think it's besides like maybe the original and maybe Wes Craven's new nightmare. It's like the best of that whole genre too. Like it's really funny and dark and fucked up and the death scenes are really creative and uh it was very fun to see it in like a packed theater uh hannah i think it was your first time seeing it no No? i'd seen it before really yeah but um i loved seeing it again i i think i saw it a long time ago and i vaguely remembered the premise and then as soon as the sleepwalker encounters freddie uh, and Freddie like rips his like tendons and veins out and Ooh, walks him around like yeah. I was yeah, like, oh, I definitely stuff. remember this. I remember this movie. So this is the survivor of the first movie is in like a mental institution with. She's an intern. Oh, okay. Working at the hospital. Okay. And um, all of these children are, or all of these teenagers are being visited by Freddie, and they're having kind of what the uh, the institution says they're having this like mass psychosis and i was thinking about this a lot with you know so many modern horror movies do the like horror as a metaphor for mental illness and this literally takes place in a psychiatric Mm -hmm. hospital for teens and there's like when the one character who has like an addiction to heroin her like veins or her arms like opening up and it's like these little mouths really disturbing stuff. Yeah. Um, and it it, it definitely walks that line where like Freddy is kind of comical, but also dangerous. I think later on in the series, it kind of went too far in the comical direction. And this is like the perfect mix of he's scary, but also funny. And yeah, I, I, I really, really, really like this movie. I will say the three you pointed out are the three that I also think are the best, but it's the three that like Wes Craven worked on directly. Yeah. Like he directed the first one. I think he had like screenwriting contributions to this one, but did not direct it. Yeah. And then the new nightmare, which is my favorite personally, but like that one, he like came back and tried to reclaim Freddie, make him less of a joke. And he kind of prototyped what he would do with scream where it was like, this is about horror. And this mm-hmm. is about what yeah. I have done by unleashing this character in the world. <laughs> So yeah, those are like the core essentials. I do have some affection for like the sort of weird outliers. Like I liked the gay one, the second one. The when, second one, yeah. When we watched it isolated, not comparing it to like the greats, like I liked it more. 
And then the fifth one, I think. I see. I grew up on the fifth one. Maybe it's the seventh I'm thinking of. The fifth one, I don't think actually holds up that well. That's the one with like, there's like a lot of Catholicism stuff in there, which I think I liked at the time. But it's also got the like Bon Appetit bitch where he like feeds her till she explodes. And gross. It's a gross like (laughs) motorcycle death scene where the motorcycle is like emerging with his flesh and. I don't know. That one's like very dark. I wasn't thinking of five. Fun. I'm thinking of like later. It's the one that Rachel Tolle directed where they're in a small town and people can't leave. Oh, that yeah. That's um, Freddy's dead. Yeah. That's number six. That one's like a goofball. Like, that one's fun. Fun. Yeah. It's like yeah. a cartoon. Uh, not as great as like the best Freddy movies, but like on a whole, the series has so much room for like surrealistic yeah. effects yeah. and like goofball gore antics and it's just like a really great franchise that's why i like it and you know they were also showing friday the 13th at broad and they were showing jason takes manhattan which is probably the best my favorite yeah of the whole series but i never really got on board with friday the 13th it just never appealed to me because it it wasn't ever that funny or that clever or surreal in the way that the um, Nightmare on Elm Street was. Or even Chucky's like more fun than the Friday the 13th movies. Or even Halloween has its own sequels that are more yeah. fun than most of the Friday the 13th movies. Yeah, and Halloween gets weird with the whole lore. So yeah, Friday the 13th never really appealed to me. But So yeah, we saw that. And I did see the new Saw movie. <laughs> Saw X. Socks. <laughs> Socks. <laughs> I actually, I really liked it. Um, and then me and Hannah... Right after we rewatched the original, yeah, which holds up incredibly well, mm. I think. Never seen it. You oh, never really? seen the original. I, wow. I saw the second one in theaters, and I saw the prequel Jigsaw in theaters. Oh, you saw Jigsaw? See, I've never I seen. Was Jigsaw. Dragged to both of those, uh, half willingly. <laughs> it, it's funny how tame the original is, yeah. and how I like kind of forgot what the twist was, and it was still pretty good. Yeah, it was a nice little thriller. It was pretty tame as to where the series would go because i remember the, I, I don't know if it was the second or the third one where like a, again like a heroin addict is dropped into a, a bunch of like needles part two saw that oh, in the theater fucked up man really dumb twist too if i remember correctly like the person who does that is in on it with the killer yes and it's and like it does come up in the new she one put herself too. through the needle pit <laughs> yeah that's some like commitment to kayfabe right there yeah and I'm just shocked that they made 10 of those. Yeah, like, that's nuts. I, I didn't see Jigsaw, but I don't know. I thought the new one was really good. It had a it had a very solid story with kind of giving this backstory to the main character with him dying of cancer and why he puts people through these kind of like moral tests. I don't know. I thought it was pretty good. It's like an in-betweenquel, right? Like they like did it between the first yeah. one. Technically between the first and the second Strange. movie. But it's kind of a swan song because the actor is very old who plays Jigsaw. So it's probably the last Saw movies he's going to be able to make. So I don't know. Yeah. I've been kind of getting into the spooky season. Hell yeah. Uh, what about you, Hannah? What what have you been watching? You know, I've been, I've been watching things here and there. And uh, I recently saw a movie that is not a horror movie, but it is kind of like an existentialist dread horror movie um called they shoot horses don't they 
which was directed in 1969 by Sidney Pollack, uh, who's also an actor. And it stars Jane Fonda, um, Michael Sarazen, Susanna York, and Gig Young, and this guy named Red Buttons, who plays an older sailor, and he's just uh, delightful. But it's about this uh, dance marathon that takes place during the um, the Great Depression. There is a $1,500 cash prize. So there are all of these couples kind of vying to compete in the dance marathon. Um, it takes place over thousands of hours. And the MC who is played by Gig Young is this very like manipulative showman. He his father was like a traveling preacher and so he's kind of like in the business of deception and manipulation for personal gain. But the dance marathon has this audience as it goes on more and more people show up they pay like 25 cents and they can come in and out as they please it's on the santa monica pier so there are like other things for them to do but the couples have to dance for i think it's in the movie it's an hour and 15 minutes something or 45 minutes to an hour and 15 and then they have like a 10 minute break and then they go back and dance they have to do everything while dancing they have to eat while they're dancing um, they can't stop moving and they have these like quack doctors out on the floor to kind of give the impression that uh, they're taking care of the people and making sure that nobody you know gets to a point of exhaustion but they're also like manipulating contestants to kind of drive the drama and they're preying upon people's like, psyches that are slowly being worn down by just like exhaustion uh there are also these uh derbies that they have every few days where the contestants have to walk in a circle for 10 minutes and um the last three couples are uh are eliminated so there it's just like stampedes of like straining people so it follows jane fonda and um this guy who just comes out off of the streets um, and they're kind of paired up together and they're dancing, trying to get this cash prize. And it's just, it was so horrifying. And the, the like tactics that this MC uses were so similar to like reality television. Uh, Like there's this one contestant who has this beautiful dress and she's this aspiring actress and all these people are trying to like, get the attention of agents like there are a lot of them are aspiring actors or directors so she has this beautiful dress and the mc like steals it to like bring her down a notch and then also to just kind of like drive her insane um because that's better for the show um and the derby shots are shot like in slow motion like high contrast just people straining forward like their pained faces are contorted it's this like kind of like merry-go-round of terror uh anyway it's it's really horrifying super interesting it reminded me a little bit of like ace in the hole by billy wilder just that this was made at a time that seemed to like predict where media and spectacle goes in like the following decades 
but also the dance marathons were real. They took place over thousands of hours. Like everything that happens in the movie is essentially like true to life. And it's the film is based upon a novel that was written by a bouncer at one of the um, one of these piers where these dance marathons happened. So it was just like, I mean, it was a real bummer (laughs) of a movie. We watched it on a Sunday. This movie is depressing as fuck. Like, (laughs) I'm not going to spoil the ending, but essentially the whole movie is just saying like, yeah, we're just going to work until we're dead and put me out of my misery. I feel that every day. (laughs) Yeah. No, and it's something I feel like this generation can really identify with that's the american reality not the yeah. american dream you know yeah right. but this came out in what like in the late 69s yeah well and the thing is when i watched it i was like i just thought this is a great metaphor it's like chillingly prescient um but, but it turns out like yeah this actually happened yeah, during it, the great depression it's it's pretty true to what was happening like similarly manipulative and that was almost more depressing that like we've been doing kind of the same or similar versions of human exploitation like throughout history i mean there's the like manipulation for entertainment that continues and then also like you know it is a metaphor for just working and working and working and thinking that it's going to get you somewhere and realizing that it won't so you know not strictly a horror movie but certainly uh, the horror of modern <laughs> of just, capitalism. Yeah, existing. And it was on YouTube. So, you know, you can uh, just get there for free. But Brandon, <laughs> what have you been watching? I actually have something very similar to talk about. Oh, really? In that it reminded me a lot of reality television. It is about labor. And it's the scariest movie I've seen this month, but it's not technically a horror film. I went to the theater to see Kitty Green's new movie, The Royal Hotel. Oh, oh, I wanted to see that. Yeah. It's fucking phenomenal. It was good. I would put yeah. it in the same camp as like how to blow up a pipeline where it feels like a throwback uh-huh. to like 90s thrillers. This is more in the like dead calm style of like, or maybe the Hitcher style of just like intense tension the whole time. Yeah. But it feels like a throwback to like an earlier time in filmmaking. But it's these like two girls, they're Americans backpacking in Australia and they both run out of money and they go to this like government temp job office and they're like, we need cash to be able to leave your country you know and they get assigned this temp job working the bar in the middle of the australian outback and it's just these two young 20 something girls one is julia garner and Mm -hmm. one is jessica henwick and they are surrounded in this mining town by like roughneck workers who come to their bar to get blackout drunk in hordes so they're just surrounded by drunk brutish men Mm -hmm. And it reminded me a lot of Alex Garland's men where like they all have different tactics and like approaches to the girls. Some are like super aggressive and are basically bullying them as a form of flirtation. Some of them are being like very soft and considerate, but like all of them want the same thing, which is to have sex with these two women, Mm -hmm. whether or not they consent Mm -hmm. to it. And the two girls take two different tacks too. Like one is like, I'm going to remain diligent and like, aware of my surroundings and get through this until I save up enough money to leave this hellish environment. Mm-hmm. And the other is maybe I'll just get so blackout drunk that I don't care what happens to myself or my body until yeah. we make it through. And it was the most tense hundred minutes I've had in a the theater all year. Really? Might be the most satisfying movie I've seen in 2023. Wow. Like damn just had a chokehold on me the whole time. It is so well done. Wow. I really want to see it now. Yeah. 
And that premise to me, I've heard a lot of complaints where it was like, oh, it's a little contrived. Like the idea that they would just send these two girls in the middle of the outback to that's serve that's all this money. contrived. I saw a documentary that inspired the movie the next day called Hotel Coolgardie from 2016. Uh-huh. The movie borrows so many exact images and lines of dialogue, character traits. Like it's almost a direct adaptation of this documentary. It, it was two Finnish girls instead of two American girls. Mm-hmm. But like it basically is a real thing. The documentary plays like a TLC reality show. Like it's like brightly lit and it's got this kind of like detached ironic sense of humor to the like terror of the situation, which almost makes it more unnerving than the movie. Uh, Cause it's just like presenting this horrific situation as if it's like a normal just thing. A casual yeah. thing. Yeah. And a, ro- a lot of reality TVs like that. It feels like, why are you putting someone through this for my entertainment? It feels really icky, you know? And I would say actually the, the real details of the story, with the two Finnish girls is almost grimmer than, what happens in the fictional version of the movie, but the Royal hotel I think is like the best of Kitty Green's three features. And yeah, probably the best movie I've seen in theaters all year. Like it cool. was just like a very bare bones thriller. Like it, it doesn't push itself too far to like, wow you with like where the narrative goes or anything, but like scene to scene, the tension of it is just absolutely fucking mm. incredible. Uh, just nice. really well done. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, I'm just going to throw that out there as like just like a, a spooky watch that isn't not supernatural. And although we won't be talking about thrillers this episode, we are going to go into supernatural horror. We are going to be talking about a lot of men. This is a very manly yeah. episode. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's a full moon in the studio today, even though oh, the sun's still no. out. <laughs> We're going to be talking about werewolves, uh, starting with the original werewolf movie oh, gee. that like set the tone of the genre. And all that's coming up to you. Right, right now. now. Oh. <laughs> you think I don't know the difference between a wolf and a man? Bela became a wolf and you killed him. A werewolf can be killed only with a silver bullet or a silver knife or a stick with a silver handle. You're insane. I tell you I killed a wolf, a plain ordinary wolf. Take this charm, the pentagram, the sign of the wolf. It can break the evil spell. Evil spell. Pentagram. Wolfbane. Oh, I'm sick of the whole thing. I'm going to get out of here. Whoever is bitten by a werewolf and lives becomes a werewolf himself. Oh, quit handing me that. You're just wasting your time. A lot of my Halloween season viewing has been dictated by a single purchase I made this year, which I bought the Universal Horror box set, which is all their famous monsters each have like tons of sequels Mm -hmm. and like the three essential ones are like the next three episodes of this podcast. Today we're talking about the Wolfman from 1941 starring Lon Chaney Jr. Uh, Next episode, we're going to talk about Dracula and the episode after that, we're going to talk about Frankenstein. Those are like the three big ones. Yeah. The trifecta. Frankenstein and Dracula came first about 10 years before the Wolfman and they were pre-code and they got away with a lot. (laughs) They have that like German expressionist set design the violence is really gnarly and the images are the most iconic in like all of horror. Like people have imitated, copied tons of Frankenstein and Dracula imagery. And I would say the same for the Wolfman in 1941, where every werewolf movie that comes after it references this text as like a visual encyclopedia of what you do with werewolves. And even the lore of what we understand werewolves to be 
was mostly invented for this movie and has been confused with the folklore that it was based off of. Like the European folk tales definitely precede this um, werewolf film, but like the werewolf only coming out during the full moon, the fact that he can only be killed by silver, the fact that a bite turns you into a werewolf. That's all bullshit that this one screenwriter (laughs) made up for this uh, universal picture uh, during the war. I don't think it's as substantial as a piece of art as uh, Frankenstein and Dracula, but like seeing it as an original text with all of that stuff in mind, I thought was pretty great. Lon Chaney Jr. obviously is taking over from his father, who was the man of a thousand faces. He came up in a time where actors would do their own makeup. Like Lon Chaney would create these characters himself, not just um, in his performance, but visually like the Phantom of the Opera image that's very famous from him is something he created himself by the time his son Lon Chaney Jr. took over as horror's premier Nepo baby um, (laughs) Jack Pierce was the universal guy who did all the makeup for the studio and in the five sequels that the Wolfman stars in all of them are crossovers with Frankenstein so we will talk about them later in the month on this podcast but um, Jack Pierce developed this makeup style where it's this um, lapped dissolve where you see Lon Chaney Jr. transforming into the werewolf like one layer at a time. You see more and more makeup on his face. Mm-hmm. That doesn't quite happen in the first one. You only see it on his legs. And then later we see him in the full werewolf makeup. So even this doesn't have the full effect of what Jack Pierce created for these series. But I think it does convey the character that Lon Chaney Jr. wanted to be remembered for. He is a big, lovable lug in, in these movies except he hates the fact that he is a werewolf and he wants to die. <laughs> uh, he wants to be loved and he wants to be a lover. He wants to like be with women, but he's very bad at it. <laughs> and he like is over aggressive when it comes to flirting. And then his like sexual drive takes over. And that's what the werewolf metaphor is. Um, in the middle of the movie, he's bitten by Bella Lugosi playing a Romani fortune teller named Bella. Who's the only other like big universal player from all the other monster uh. movies that occurs here? Um, turns him into a werewolf, and it becomes this metaphor about every time Lon Chaney gets too horny, he turns into this hairy beast and uh, causes a muck around town. And then in all of the sequels, he just really hates this about himself. He like really just wants to die and not be a werewolf anymore. I liked this movie a lot. I thought it was a fun horror movie about like post nut clarity like this like (laughs) guy getting too horny causing chaos and then like feeling guilty about it um i think it's kind of a perfect middle ground between dracula and frankenstein you could see why a lot of the lore is borrowed from dracula where like the bite and the transformations and stuff are basically like vampire lore except they just switched out the vampire for a werewolf and the difference is that lon chaney can go outside during the day without dying yeah and then with frankenstein it's like the monster doesn't mean to be evil but there's this murderous urge within him and he keeps fucking up and killing people except frankenstein they never fully gave him the um, ability to talk and lon chaney is like an articulate monster so i could see how they thought this was like the best of both worlds and he becomes like kind of a mainstay in the crossover monster rally sequels as this goes along i am so sorry i've been watching like these 70 minute monster movies and then afterwards, watching like two to three hours of bonus <laughs> material uh, for each one. So my brain is just overflowing with like bullshit universal trivia right now. No, it's but <laughs> that's kind of how I feel. Like my struggle with watching this film was like understanding. I know how important it is 
historically. And then, but the, the actual like viewing experience, like I didn't actually like this movie that much, but I understand why it is so important for everything that came afterwards. So that was my struggle the entire time watching the Like same with the main character. Like you say, you know, he's a lovable lug or what? No, he's no, not. You I hated so. him. He's awful. I hated he's, him. He's horrible. He's like so pushy with women. That's his get, like downfall. Yeah. And I get that that's kind of the lore of the werewolf is like these sort of, and I think we're going to talk about that in all these films to a different degree, but like the werewolf is that like dark part of the male psyche, that uncontrollable urge, sexual desire. And in this movie, like, yeah, Lon Chaney Jr. is like a pushy guy. He doesn't know how to like flirt with women. He's very aggressive. And then he gives in to like his id, like the worst part of his psyche. Like, I didn't find him a lovable lug at all. Like I didn't like his character. I'm referring specifically to him being like, oh, shucks. I don't know about all these ancient legends or I don't know about all these like fancy telescopes you have to look at the sky. I, yeah. But I can know how to fix them because I'm a simple mechanic. Like he's like doing this like G <laughs> yeah. whiz aw shucks yeah. routine. Meanwhile, he's a murderous rapist. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I appreciated this as establishing the like particular psychological like tensions of a werewolf. I think that I had never really thought about like what does this mean as a specific type of monster. It's like most of the time you are who you see as like yourself and then every so often there is something in you that's awakened that you you can't fully relate to but is yourself and you don't understand it and it's frightening to you and it's harmful to other people. You know, I thought that that was well established. I just like really <laughs> hated this guy. Like, and I, it it was essentially as soon as he uses the telescope to spy oh, like on the third scene, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, "Oh, what about those crescent earrings?" Like he he spies on this woman and sees the earrings that she has, sees the store that she works in, and then goes to the store and references these earrings because that he's seen because he's spying on her, and she's like, "How do you know about all this?" And he's I don't know saying like he's psychic. I was just like, I my mind and heart completely shut off to him. I was like, no, I can't I can't give you any benefit of the doubt. I don't think the movie's condoning that behavior. Yeah. I think he's bad with women is like a very essential part of his right. character. Yeah, I guess just the thing is that like like bad with women feels like an understatement to me. Like that would be if a man said that to me, I would be so frightened. I would I and I don't think it's condoning it, but he does have a flirtation with her, you know? So it is like he's doing his best. And to me, it was just like that I would immediately shut off from this person. And I do think he has depth eventually, like the sweatier he gets throughout the movie, the more his humanity kind of comes out. But I was just like, my heart was shut off to him. <laughs> Within 10 minutes, you're like, dude, the lady said no. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Which is yeah. not a great place to start with a character. No. But I, I mean, it's funny, like Lon Chaney Jr., I, I've seen him in other films, like beyond this kind of pre-code horror stuff. 
He's like a really good actor. Like he has very good physical presence. Like I've seen him in later. I think he was in like High Noon. Some other, I don't know, some other movies I remember too. But like this particular role is not the most flattering for him. But, you know, I don't know. Like Bella Lugosi is in this movie for one scene. And Bella Lugosi, like you're drawn to him on the screen. Like, I don't know if Lon Chaney Jr. like is as good as his father in terms of like screen presence. I don't know. I was just thinking about that in terms of like the nepotism, like you're doing the kind of the same thing your dad did, but not quite as good. I don't think it's the same thing. I think, I think his dad was more ghoulish. Yeah. Uh, Lon Chaney Jr.'s first big role was in Of Mice and Men playing the like yeah. larger oaf uh, who doesn't mean to harm people. Uh, he doesn't know his own strength. And like, that's kind of the character he kept playing yeah. as he went along. He's like a guy who thinks he's being very sweet, but is hurting everyone around him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that carries over to this one. I think some of the miscasting now, like looking back at it, is like people took this as a puberty metaphor at the time. And it's like, oh, he's like starting to discover romantic and sexual urges and doesn't know how to control that. And looking at him now, like all these years later, when we have a concept of what a teenager is, this man is well past puberty right. to us. Like <laughs> he should know better at this age that he's at. When I guess the hair stuff too. Right. Yeah. And there that we've seen that developed into like more recognizable stuff. Like mm-hmm. around the fifties when the idea of a teenager was basically invented. I was a teenage werewolf yeah. was like the first big teen horror film. And it's actually fucking phenomenal. I actually like it more than this one. Um, or later in the 80s, Teen Wolf was kind of a remake mm-hmm. of that. Or, or in the 2000s, Snaps. Ginger Snaps, yeah. uh, which is even better because it's not as like severely macho as all these movies are. Yeah. Like that really threw me off about the werewolf. I didn't come into this episode thinking like, oh, we're going to talk about masculine sexuality and like bravado That is and totally stuff. the vibe of yeah. all, all these, of them. All yeah. these movies. <laughs> that is the, were- the werewolf mythology. Yeah. I don't know. That's what I found really interesting watching all these movies is like, you know, the vampire is kind of a very romantic kind of European sensibility of like love and lust. And to me, the werewolf is a very American macho idea of like being a horny male teenager. And like, you don't even know what you're doing. Like you can't even think straight. You're so horny. Yeah. They're both like, predatory sexually but one of them is very intentional like like vampires are seductive by nature werewolves don't know what the hell they're doing right it's like i just woke up i was blackout and then the next day they remember like oh my god i can't right it's like something yeah it's a part of you like things that you want that you're ashamed of um which i think is super interesting like i had never really thought about like what the particulars of being a werewolf mean. Um, it's a, I mean, it's also interesting because it is associated with the full moon and like moons are very feminine mm-hmm. normally. Like, uh, so it, it's almost like this is a lunar cycle for male sexuality. Like, you know, it's like, like menstruation is associated with the cycles of the moon like it's an interesting kind of melding of those things it's much easier to track that when you menstruate but like there's no way that like the moon cycle does not affect men's emotions no it does yeah (laughs) no and and men have 
you know, like cycles of hormones the same way. Like all people have hormones that cycle through their bodies and change, like affect them in different ways in different periods of time. I mean, testosterone is a motherfucker. Like, I don't know, like when you have raging hormones, like testosterone makes you want to just break shit and destroy things and have sex and do all these so that's what the werewolf is to me. It's just like testosterone run amok. Are you glad you watched this for like seeing the source text of these yeah. ideas? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. It's pretty essential, I think. Yeah. yeah. And I had never seen it until this year. Like I know about it. I've seen images from it. And I watched all the Frankenstein movies first. So I had seen all the sequels before because every sequel he has, he's teamed up with Frankenstein, which is very funny. Like he doesn't have mm-hmm. any standalone movies after this, but it just felt like seeing like a missing piece to me. It was like, okay, mm-hmm. I kind of get that's, that's where this I mythology is from. Yeah. I just like, it, it felt like kind of an education, but I, again, I didn't love it as like a film on its own, but it's a, an essential piece of, like you said, of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, but I did, I did like aspects of it. Yeah. I think I'm a little higher on it than y'all. Just like I'm picturing the, foggy moors where they flip on like yeah. one too many fog machines on the sparse sets like where he's just running through the night being hunted and stuff like there's something really beautiful about yeah. certain images in the film i keep wanting to make broad strokes like generalizations between the films we've watched but to, this is so similar to another one like the themes of this one are so similar to another one that i i can't really do that but in this film and another one there is also this like tension between the explanation of behavior being like scientific versus kind of mythological. Like his father is convinced that this is just kind of like a psychiatric problem and it's all in his head and it's like, like psychosomatic and he's kind of unsure whether it is or not. And like, he can't remember what happens. Right. So it's like, Maybe I am just kind of imagining it or, you know, so I think it that's getting at something interesting, too. Like, how do we explain ourselves and our personalities and identities? Like, there is this kind of, like, rhythmic, cosmic influence on ourselves that we can't control. The original version of the script, it was like ambiguous whether the transformation was in his head yeah and whether he was just doing these things as a human being Mm -hmm. and imagined himself as a werewolf versus like pretty explicit in the final product that he is actually transforming into a werewolf yeah um i think it's probably better that there is an actual monster i always prefer when like the metaphor has like a literal physical transformation in it personally but um that's definitely part of the text too is like they were like does it really matter that he's turning into a different thing? He's still doing these crimes you mm-hmm. know, around town and terrorizing all these women in particular. Yeah. I think you kind of have to start here when you're talking about werewolves. Like you have to like see this to fully understand what like the Joe Dante's and John Landis's and everyone else was doing with that mythology later, because this actually did establish a lot of the rules. Yeah. Um, and even the transformation you think of, of Lon Chaney, turning into the werewolf and those dissolves and you watch his face get hairier and hairier that isn't here either that gets developed later but you kind of have to like start here to see that stuff develop yeah and i feel like it has the seeds for all of the offshoots that we see later on like ginger snaps can be traced back to this in its own way even though it's very different you know 
or the orgies in uh, the Howling Part Two. My sister is a wolf. Yes, great, fantastic, hairy <laughs> sex. been doing it for a really long time. I started when I was 10 years old, you know, and I started making myself up as a wolf man when I was 10 years old. So I've had some practice. I'm almost 60, so it's like 50 years of practice. Well, you would probably know better than anyone. Why are we still so fascinated with the wolf man? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know if it's that whole thing that, you know, I think we all have a little beast in us somewhere, you know, and, and uh, sometimes that comes out. And uh, But I'm, I'm just really glad to see... Uh, you know, old school gothic horror film, you know, that's uh, about a cursed man and the torture that he goes through, you know, and it's not another psycho, knife-wielding psycho killing teenagers, and the, you know. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. I hope I'm it right brings there. back that kind of movie. That's the kind of monster movie I like. Yeah. For me, when I think about a werewolf movie, my go-to has always been American Werewolf in London, which came out in the early, early 80s. John Landis directed it, who had done... At this point, he'd done like Blues Brothers, Kentucky Fried Movie, Animal House. What? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, didn't, I didn't know Also, that. I did watch his, um, what's the movie he did with like the, it's like a mockery, like a satire of horror. Uh, schlock. Schlock. Where he himself played an ape man. Right. Uh, who ran around terrorizing women. Yeah. I watched that recently. It's pretty bad. It's all right. Uh, he also had, I believe, killed two children and an adult man by the time he made this as well. No, no, no. I think that came later. Okay. What? No, John, because he did the Twilight Zone movie and there's a whole controversy and there was a whole lawsuit where he had him shoot this scene with a helicopter. Oh, yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah. ended up killing a child. And it's what he's better remembered for now is like having an adult son who was actually like a fucking monster and having killed several people with his like. Yeah. And his son, labor Max practices. Landis is a bad yeah. dude. But he was a comedy legend at one point and like very well respected. And th- this is sort of like American Werewolf in London was kind of like, he wasn't even really to that legendary status yet. Like um, he was kind of highly regarded, but as like a comedic thing. And this is an interesting film in the sense that like, it is a comedy and it is a horror drama, but it's a very small kind of low budget affair where uh, David and Jack, there's these two characters who are uh, doing the backpacking thing in Europe and they're hunted by this wolf and David lives and he's taken in by this nurse after being a- attacked by a werewolf. And the film is like kind of like a hangout, like low stakes thing for most of its runtime. And, I, you know, it's highly regarded because of the special effects by Rick Baker that happens three quarters of the way through the film. So Rick Baker also did the gorilla suit. For Schlock? For Schlock, yeah. <laughs> and um, when he w- and John Landis were like doing that makeup, he was like, hey, buddy, I have a script for a werewolf movie. This going to be fucking great when I eventually get the money for it. I really respect your work. I think you do great monster effects. Yeah. Please like give me a handshake agreement that whenever I get mm, this funding, cool. you will do my werewolf movie. And it took a long time, like almost a decade. And when he finally got the funding and it was time for Rick Baker to follow through on that agreement... Rick Baker had already started pre-production on The Howling for Joe Dante. 
and he was starting to do the effects for that movie. And Landis called him and was like, hey, it's time to do a werewolf movie. And Rick Baker jumped ship from the Joe Dante movie, left his protege to do the effects for that one instead, and did the wow. and did this wow. instead. Which I don't know that Joe Dante ever fully forgave him for, <laughs> you know, That's making this one the classic and not the right? other one. Yeah. That's pretty unprofessional. Unprofessional, but you know he had you know he had an a, agreement yeah. before the howling was ever greenlit. So I don't know. It, I'm sure there was some bad blood between the three of them for a little while, but they've probably all gotten over it at this point. They're all millionaires. And and I think that is like the thing that has carried this movie throughout the kind of annals of horror cinema is like that one transformation scene. Uh, Like I said, three quarters of the way through the movie, I was shocked watching it. We watched it yesterday and it holds up very well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, going back to the Wolfman, where it's just, you know, the hair on his legs is getting thicker with very clear cuts, like, you know, what's happening. This is pretty spectacular. Like his body is truly transforming. Like his Mm -hmm. jaw is getting larger. His hands are elongating and it's spectacular to watch. Even to this day, that, that transformation scene. Yeah. And the wolf itself too, I think is like really, really interesting. This huge kind of, hulking shaggy beast like extremely impressive and uh they like wheel it around on a wheelbarrow so just his arms are on the ground and his legs are like extended so it looks like he's actually like stalking people and moving like laterally which usually the wolfman that we we watch in these movies stand upright like people because it's a lot easier to achieve they actually get a wolfman that like runs like a wolf in this which is pretty fucking phenomenal so cool so this movie has always been like my go-to like favorite werewolf movie and watching it again, I think I kind of have a more nuanced view of it. Like it's really funny. It's really clever and well done. It's kind of a low stakes affair. And that's what took me aback this time. Like you really don't get any spectacular werewolf stuff until three quarters of the way into the movie. And a lot of it is just a hangout, with this main character and the nurse and them falling in love, but it's very funny and pleasant and the characters are really well done. And um, the last 20 minutes of this are really batshit over the top with the gore and the um, it, it's really good. It just is kind of a low stakes comedy. They do find a way to sneak some Rick Baker effects in before the werewolf yeah. transformation with his dead friend keeps revisiting him as a zombie increasingly kind of like gangrene. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, please kill yourself so I can rest. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that, that's like the dark humor of it. Like his buddy, like, dude, you please kill yourself. Like if you don't kill yourself, I'm just hanging out here until eternity. And yeah. And it's like faces kind of, the flesh Sloughing is hanging up. off. Of, yeah. One of the effects they shot for the movie but didn't include was him eating toast in the British woman's apartment and the toast just coming out of his neck <laughs> hole because <laughs> he yeah. couldn't digest it. Oh, that's great stuff. I did read that where John Landis, like he wished if there was a different cut, he would have added some of that stuff and maybe focus less on the transformation stuff. Um, but I, I think it it holds up very well. It's a fun, fun romp. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so every so often I'll watch a movie that I have an extreme emotional reaction to, 
and whoever I'm <laughs> watching it with is not having the same reaction and I like don't know what to do. That happened with Alps, the Abbas Kiarostami movie. There's the scene. I just like, you know, he has very dry, like stilted Wait, films. I thought Alps was Lanthimos, right? Oh my gosh. Yes. Yorgos Lanthimos. Yeah, I apologize. Yeah. Yorgos Lanthimos did Alps and um, it just absolutely like, in the middle of the movie, there's this scene that just I just started sobbing and I had to leave the room. So this movie made me cry a lot. Like there was just so the special effects. Great. Um, David is this super likable, fun character. We do get to see him interacting with the nurse. They have I think they have pretty good chemistry. Yeah. Um, and like visitations by his dead friend. But they're. I, there is this kind of like underpinning of, you know, he's having these horrible nightmares. He feels like something's wrong. He doesn't really know what's going on. He's in a, a new country. He's all alone. And then when the werewolf curse finally kind of takes over him and he loses control and he kills people and then he wakes up in the zoo, he he's still separated from it like he still doesn't really understand what's happening and then once he realizes it he's just kind of like racked with grief and fear and shame and like he wants to turn himself in like the police won't take him he doesn't know what to do and he kind of finally starts listening to his friend and considering like committing suicide and also, this movie references the Wolfman explicitly. Twice. Yeah. A couple of times. And it has really similar themes of like a man who is not in control of himself or disconnected from this violent part of himself that is hurting other people. And his own kind of self-hatred and his like absolute like savage behavior as a wolf like it just it just made me really sad like I really felt for him and the feeling of being out of control and not knowing what to do not knowing how to accept help from people and feeling completely stuck and I don't know if that is like a common takeaway but I felt like that was a huge part of the movie for me I will say the question of tone is a very common takeaway we're like yeah People are like, is this supposed to be funny or scary? And he's yeah. like, well, it's a horror movie that has a lot of comedy in it. Right. And the difficulty of putting it in a sincere versus like goofy box yeah. was very difficult for people to get. Mm-hmm. It's not a zany, over-the-top horror spoof. It's not Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein or whatever. Yeah. It's pretty somber and straightforward. And there are themes of suicide and like Jewish persecution from Nazis and like, yeah. all yeah. kinds of strange stuff in here that are like very serious things Mm -hmm. i will say it sounds like this nails maybe what the lon chaney jr character did it for you where like you kind of get why a woman would be attracted to him and like like him yeah and like all signs point to it being a terrible idea of bringing this man into this nurse totally (laughs) but she's like i don't know i just feel kind of an affection for him it's like a lost puppy that's why like the early scenes of just him and his buddy backpacking across the like English countryside are really effective because they're just shooting the shit. But I don't know. You like learn to kind of love them mm-hmm. as characters to or, like 10 minutes into the movie. You're like, you're invested. Like I like David. Yeah. I like his best bud. And then when you see them ripped apart by this wolf, 
that matters so much. Like in the original, like Wolfman, like you're saying, like, I don't care about Lon Chaney Jr. and his affection for this woman or whatever, but I really like the characters yeah. in American Werewolf in London. Like they're just fleshed out in a way that feels more human. And so when it gets to the good stuff, you know, I'm more emotionally invested. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, this was the version of the Wolfman that completely worked. Like, I care about this guy. Um, you know, he he's young and he is lustful and just, like, wants to have a good time. But he's also scared. Um, the effects, I mean, they work better because it's, like, decades later. It's just a totally different time. Also, he grew up, Rick Baker grew up watching those Jack Pierce movies right. and learning from him in monster magazines yeah. and like yeah. developing the craft. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I can't, the effects in the Wolfman, it's like, uh, that is perfectly great for the time that it, that it was made. But the effects in this movie are like incredible. And I felt some tragedy in the 1941 film. Like that was still part of the movie for me and in this it was just like crystallized i just thought this was like incredible this is the only movie of the bunch we're going to talk about i want to agree it's my favorite one of the bunch even though it's never been like a favorite horror film of mine i still want to say it's the best werewolf movie we're talking about today Mm -hmm. but it's the only one where i'm not like disgusted by men like (laughs) as a social group like they're affable in this even though they do bad things when they get so horny, they run amok around London. Like, yeah. In all the other movies, the men are just so fucking gross that it's like, I can't condone your monstrous there, there behavior. There is like a tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is tragic. Like the, at the very end when he is shot and he's just like laying naked, like you feel bad. You're An like, abrupt yeah. ending too. Oh my God. Yeah. And you feel for him. You're like, damn, like he didn't deserve that. Yeah. It is a very sad, tragic sort of ending. And I don't think we would have gotten it without the Wolfman being like a childhood favorite of yes. Rick Baker's in particular. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I was a little cooler on the Wolfman before I watched this. And then watching this, like I really felt the connection between the two. And I feel like I appreciated that film even more. A couple favorite techniques on the monster effects. Uh, the hand extending, which mm-hmm. is really like hurtful body horror to watch. Yeah. Like, you can yeah. feel your own bones. bones like creaking as oh. it happens. But those are just syringes they pushed uh, through oh. each other to like extend this like synthetic flesh. Nice. Looks very cool. Also, the hair growth instead of doing the dissolve, you actually watch it grow mm-hmm. in like time elapse. Uh-huh. Uh, all they did was like pull the hair backwards through holes and and then then reverse the footage. So it looks like it's pushing out. That's so cool. It's so simple, but like so brilliant. So effective. Yeah. A lot of the movie is farting around and hanging out. And I used to think that was a problem because it has been sort of lauded as like the height of the genre. And it's not like the howling Two: your sister is a werewolf where it's just like (laughs) nonsense constantly which is more my speed usually. But I, I really appreciate the sort of like relaxed, dramatic um, aspects of this a lot. That That's kind of what I took away watching it again. This is like probably the fifth time I've watched this movie, but just how like chill and relaxed, just it's a comforting movie. I don't know. Like it's not super in your face. It's just kind of like, 
a fun hangout. Which is kind of how the Universal Monsters movies play a century later, too, is they're kind of like afternoon comfort watches. Yeah. This one just happens to have a scene set in a porno theater where a bunch of zombies are telling the main character to kill himself. (laughs) (laughs) Right. really like Uh, that. Also cannot move on without mentioning that uh, Michael Jackson was a huge fan of this movie and hired... John Landis and Rick Baker to work on the video for Thriller, oh, yeah. Yeah. which is a masterpiece of werewolf cinema in itself. <laughs> Very oh, yeah. exceptional visual art. I don't think uh, things are going to get any less macho for the rest of the episode. If anything, the machismo <laughs> will escalate as we go yeah, along. It's, it's going up. So I picked uh, Dog Soldiers from 2002, which was directed by Neil Marshall. This was his uh, directorial debut. He also did um, The Descent. And the uh, Hellboy remake from 2019. Oh, you did The Descent. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. So if I ha- could pick the werewolf movies of my dreams, I would have picked Ginger Snaps or um, The Company of Wolves, which have already been discussed on this podcast. Yeah, that's our one rule. Yeah. So <laughs> I decided to pick the werewolf movie that felt like the least Hana movie I could find because I was just curious about how that would work with the werewolf myth. Um, and I guess it ended up fitting the overall theme of our episode pretty well. Um, so this uh, dog soldiers takes place in the Scottish highlands. Um, there is a soldier who is trying to join a special ops group and um, he's kind of he's refused from the group by this captain, uh, Captain Ryan, because he refuses to shoot a dog in the head, which I was happy about. And then four weeks later, he's he's in this other group of soldiers and they're on a they're doing a training exercise with this um, special air services and they come upon the camp of the SAS and it's been basically torn apart and Captain Ryan is there. He's like bleeding. He has chest wounds. Um, and he's kind of like mumbling about these assailants. So the six soldiers go out and try to find who, who, or I think the camp gets attacked again. And, uh, again, mysterious assailants, very tall, like kind of completely, annihilate one of the soldiers um tears open the stomach of the sergeant his like guts are spilling out and then the surviving soldiers in this wounded um sergeant are picked up by this woman who's a zoologist and she takes them to this ostensibly kind of abandoned house and the rest of the movie is like a siege film basically the the house is surrounded by Uh, werewolves and they have limited ammunition they have to make it until dawn essentially and um, throughout the film like they're getting picked off by the werewolves they're trying to find ways to sneak out and get a car so they like stage a distraction but and then there are a couple of transformations that occur within the house but it, it is kind of like it could really be any monster. Uh, that's the one. That's one of the things that I didn't care for about this movie. Like the werewolves do have this like pack tactics thing. They're they're strategizing like human soldiers, and I think that's kind of like connecting them to the military, like this pack of dogs. But 
it it kind of could have also been a zombie movie. There's no transformation scene either, right? There's a couple of scenes where a character eyes glows and then a second later they're a werewolf. Yeah, there's no like there are a couple of changes like an eye eyes will glow and then their teeth are like sharp right. and then they duck under a table and then they come up and they're a werewolf. We so really want the transformations yeah, in this genre for sure. Right. There's no like second for second transformation. Um but the werewolves are plentiful and they're large. And it's kind of like the, we don't get to look at them for too long. I think they have these impressive kind of like tall body suits. And then they have pretty realistic wolf faces. But I got the sense that they don't want you to stare at them for too long, you know, in in the light. But it's this is a very macho movie. It's like very band of brothers, like hiding out in this hole together against the attacking this like outside enemy like enemies within and i just i don't know i'm still kind of like trying to parse through the politics of it even though i know that (laughs) that's like not the point of the film um i think stylistically there were some interesting there were some foggy um night moon shots that were good but i just like it just was maybe the least interesting in terms of grappling with the werewolf myth, but also it's just like an action horror movie. I, I, I thought it was the most like badass in the sense that like it had the most werewolves. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there was like at least five werewolves. There were a lot of werewolves. There were a lot of werewolves in this movie. All the other movies we talked about, like there's like one werewolf and you know, you get one transformation. Like this movie, you get a whole gaggle right. of werewolves, which I think is cool. But I think in the other two movies, there's one werewolf because the point of the transformation is like the inner turmoil right. of this person no, and their this transformation. Doesn't have any inner yeah. turmoil. It's just like the werewolves are existing. They're out there, and we need to battle them. And they're big, and they're scary. And they're plentiful. It's film bro catnip for like college freshmen where your entire reaction to it is supposed to be like, this is badass. Sick. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that, that post Tarantino, like Martin McDonough and Guy Ritchie style of like banter where people just talk in sound bites and like, don't sound like real people and talk about how so cool that, it not, is. That didn't work for you at all. Fuck like- no. I hated every <laughs> character in this movie. Really? I don't know. I actually liked, um, what's the one guy's name? Was it toilet? Oh, <laughs> what's his name? Uh, um, I know, uh, Spoon. Spoon. Yeah. It's British. His name was Lou, not Toilet. <laughs> his name was. I thought it was Toilet. His name was Spoon, spoon. Witherspoon. Yeah, I don't know. You had Spoon. You, you know. I didn't hate the characters. I like the characters. They're not real characters. They're yeah. like screenwriter farting sure. around yeah. stuff. I just like that there was a lot of werewolves. Like the werewolf the action, I think, are, is impeccable, yeah. especially yeah. for a film in this budget. It looks very good. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I kind of like that it felt like a Michael Bay movie, like the editing (laughs) and it was so quick and there was like a lot of cuts where it was like every five seconds it's cutting here and there. And I I dug that. Like it felt very frenetic and uh, yeah, but you're right. The story itself is bullshit. Like whatever. They're just holed up in this thing and they're trying to protect themselves from these werewolves. But there was a lot of werewolves and yeah. there was a lot of cuts and I, I thought it was very violent. The gore was pretty good. Yeah, like, the especially gore, I did, when yeah. the dude's like 
like his own stomach. It's also very low lit too. So like you're like kind of peering at it. Like what's yeah. going on in there? Yeah. It's, and it's, it's fucking gooey. gnarly. Yeah. It's gnarly. Like the guy's yeah. guts are hanging out and they're like uh, doing the super glue and the whiskey with the, I don't know. Yeah. I, the the blood explosions were, were good as an action horror movie. I thought that it was like totally serviceable and like very exciting as a werewolf movie, I like it when I see a film that is like th- like this movie is about this type of creature and the like psychological consequences or like the, like what this kind of transformation would mean to a person. And this was like, I mean, I, I just felt like they were kind of replaceable. Like there were a couple of threads that were tying to werewolves specifically, but it was basically like, when the moon is gone, we'll be able to get out of the house, you know? But I like that, like, all these characters ended up being werewolves. Like, the chick that brought them in I ha- I hated that werewolf. she was... How, how is she a werewolf? How, how she is she werewolf. not... But, like, why... What? Okay, uh, here's the thing. There, okay. there are two potential villains in this house that, like, would be traitorous. Yes. One is... One of the Game of Thrones actors, <laughs> I can't right. remember the guy's name, but uh, he's like the special ops officer. And where I thought the movie was going was that it was going to turn out that the werewolves outside were the special ops. Yeah, and, and they that had, the, yeah, like, yeah. war games were still going on and had not been interrupted by lycanthropes. Agreed. I think a much better twist than what they go for, which is that the woman in the house is the werewolf that has sold them out, and her family is the one hunting the soldiers. And if this movie does remind me of Michael Bay in the way that you're describing, besides the quick cuts, the other way it reminds me of him is that I had to think to myself, does this movie hate women? Yes. And I think it well, does. It does. Yes, well, it does. She has a whole thing where like, she's like, I'm a bitch. It's that time of month. It's that right. time of month. It's yeah. No, it's like, if you trust by me, you'll die. Yeah. And something. because she is the only woman in the movie, she kind of represents all women. Right. Surrounded yeah. by all these guys. And she is the like it's true. manipulative villain within their ranks who like is the evil bitch. And yeah. it's just like gross. I don't know. It just reminded me of being a college freshman and watching like Reservoir Dogs or something with yeah. like the smelliest boys you've ever seen in your entire life, you know? Yeah. And that, that's, <laughs> I think that's actually why I kind of liked it. <laughs> I don't know. Like it did bring me back. Like I didn't really care for this movie all that much, but it did bring me back to that. Like, yeah, just some soldiers that are shooting werewolves and I don't know. It, everything is very yeah. simple and black and white. And uh, it's very like call of duty. I just think it's like, not that every film has to be a political commentary, but if you're, if you're making a film about the military and werewolves, like I feel like there is some interesting ground that you can cover with that. And it just like was not, they they didn't really do anything interesting with it. And I I hated that she like it I feel like it doesn't even make sense within the terms of the movie that she like how did she not turn into a werewolf earlier? Like she's just inside and she was shielded. Also, like why would she trap all these men inside her home where she lives and they like destroy all her furniture right. and like break up they her eat house? Eat all of her food. Go bring her to like the the soldier I, trap where they I all- will say <laughs> this movie I liked how British this movie was. <laughs> right. It was like they constantly they're talking about tea and mm, they're bollocks. using like the English. footy match. <laughs> yeah, they're talking about the football, like the football right. match. I don't know. That felt very quaint to me. Yeah. I um, did I didn't actually I did not hate this movie, but 
you know, comparing it to like the werewolf myth, I just think it was it didn't do anything interesting with it. Although I will say I was kind of thinking about it in terms of the Israeli Palestinian Oh my then God! It, what a box to open! Immediately close about. This is where the people get their takes. But <laughs> halfway but, into a werewolf conversation. That's right. Well, no, I was saying the way that like you um, dehumanize your adversary, your opponent. You know, like it was like this military thing in this movie, and the werewolves are this outer, mm-hmm. like they're in intrusive on the home and all the like the way we dehumanize our adversaries but see i don't think that the movie had anything interesting to say about that i think that it was glorifying yeah the movie okay i was already on my brain but it kind of like worked yeah like what i was already thinking making them into monsters and the fact that those are like the townspeople like you know even that is something that you could I could dig into. I think but the movie had much on its mind no, besides the yeah. movie. No, it did. It did. No, it really and I'm not, and I, really I'm not asking it to. Although I guess I am. I think it kind of stumbled into some werewolf doo doo, though, and it like made the lady transform. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, well, you're implying a lot here about all women uh, <laughs> because true. that's your one female character. Right. And it's really. I don't know. I felt like I was watching In Bruges again, except this time it had werewolves in it. And I guess I preferred that to In Bruges, but. <laughs> what? But In Bruges is actually funny and eh, good. It's and, about oh. the same for me. Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I agree with Very that. post-Tarantino, very like try yeah. hard. It did feel shit. very post-Tarantino. Yeah. Like, the fact that his next movie is The Descent is mind-blowing to me. Because that movie's all women. All of them are complex characters. And the like, descent is really good. Yeah, it's got this like kind of self-destructive, like I think going further into the, the inferno feel to it. Yeah, I think this, this is it. actually a pretty good movie. I don't know for what it is. I think it is what it is, and it is totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's it's fine. I like the werewolf stuff yeah. a lot. For like a low-budget horror movie, they pull off a lot of great like visual effects. I just yeah. say, I just like how British it is too. Yeah, I think just after watching. An American Werewolf in London. This was like well, that's actually uh, yeah. yeah it, it was a downgrade. That doesn't help. Yeah, no. <laughs> we are going to go further afield with the next one, <laughs> even though its title is the closest to the Wolfman. It is the furthest from the original <laughs> werewolf myth. Right. Uh, I threw in a wild card called Wolf Guy from 1975. <laughs> the Wolf Guy. Uh, wolf Guy is a Sonny Chiba picture. It is a martial arts movie about a lycanthropic detective who is. Trying to unravel a mystery within the Yakuza gangs of Japan. Uh, He is fixated on this series of deaths where this one gang keeps being ripped to shreds by an invisible tiger. Mm. These men are just in the streets in public in full view, just being torn by these giant tiger claws that appear from under their clothes and their bodies start spewing geysers of blood. Uh, this is based off of a manga, much like um, Lady Snowblood, which we watched probably last year. Mm-hmm. And it has the same like pressurized veins as that movie where like every gore scene involves like just like geyser of blood just <laughs> shooting <laughs> out of the wounds. So the tiger lady is very tiger-like. Uh, she is a victim of abuse by these accuser who have gang raped her um, and infected her with syphilis and left her on the streets. Um, She was a nightclub performer and now she's just a homeless drug addict. And uh, she gets her revenge by um, 
cursing them with this like tiger death where they keep dying one at a time. Uh, Sonny Chiba is an outsider to this conflict, but is fascinated by it and wants to get to the bottom of it and who's behind it. Um, and he is a detective with bushy eyebrows. Right. That, that is his werewolf quality. Uh, he comes from a werewolf clan. It was a clan of people who had sort of like wolf spirits uh, who were not quite human, but look human, um, who were wiped out decades in the past. He is the last of his kind. And uh, the further he gets into the conspiracy of uh, this woman who was left for dead, uh, he unravels more and more Yakuza conspiracy stuff and like big business back dealings with like record labels and executives and stuff like that. And then he attracts the attention of the Japanese CIA who then uses his werewolf blood to create their own werewolf mm. to kill him. Uh, they transfuse <laughs> another man uh, with the werewolf stuff. And that guy actually has more werewolf qualities yeah. than Sonny Chiba does. Although he he becomes more like glam rock than yeah. lycanthrope. Yeah. But it's still great. It's almost like, um, you know, in like martial arts stuff where they're like power of the tiger, power of the wolf. Yeah. It's like a spiritual thing, yeah. not so much an outside attributes right. thing. Tiger style. Right, I have exactly. Say, you, I do think you committed fraud with mm. this. This isn't really a werewolf I, movie. I think technically... I guess it's really the debate we're right. about to have. It's like, I is think this a werewolf movie? Technically, you did not commit category fraud, but... Yeah, you did. This I is not. <laughs> this is this not, is not a werewolf movie. No, technically, movie. he didn't, because they refer to him as a werewolf in the movie. But, but he's not a... I'm sorry, spirit? the full title is Wolf Guy Enraged Lycanthrope. Right. And he's I'm not. Sure, that's what I'm saying. Technically speaking, this is a werewolf movie, but it, werewolf it is... Movie. It that's is, the question. From an American perspective, this is not a werewolf it's, movie. It's the only one of the movies we're talking about that does not take spiritual inspiration from the universal wolfman yeah it is its own version of folklore involving people who are part wolf yeah but what is the besides him having like bushy eyebrows what is his wolf-like characteristics super jump uh super jump i know super super smell yeah he is controlled by the phases of the moon yeah the movie tracks the moon know, as it goes into its, its like full phase. Days, and so, when it's yeah. the full moon, which is something that was made up in the Lon Chaney Jr. movie. So maybe it did take some indirect inspiration. But on the full moon, that's when he is invincible. And that's when he goes all out and attacks the Yakuza full force because mm-hmm. he knows he cannot die in the battle. And then also the blood transfusion that infects the other fighter and yeah, t- transforms true. him into a werewolf is also pretty much like him getting bitten by the wolf guy. <laughs> yeah. But it is even in there in the title. Like he's not really a werewolf. He's just kind of like a wolf guy. Yeah. He's like anthropish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't debate that. Okay. Answer. Here's the thing. This isn't even really a horror movie. It's right. like a psychedelic noir that has like supernatural horror elements, but it's basically a martial arts movie like a revenge mission, one man and eventually one tiger spirited woman uh, right. fighting this like vast Yakuza game, yeah. uh, them against the world. I, I mean, I know we were talking about like Tarantino earlier, but like this is very Tarantino esque. Yeah, like, but it's better because it's the yeah. source text that he was ripping off. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> like, I love this movie. This yeah. is so like drugged out, trippy, cult classic. 
kind of stuff. It reminded me of like black exploitation films too, like yeah. very heavy funk guitar soundtrack in here. Yeah. Yes, and like just this uh, bushy browed Japanese man just laying multiple women. And I, I love to. We're like, I honestly like you did a very good job explaining the plot. It was not easy. <laughs> yeah, and I like I zoned out. Like I don't care about the plot. Like in this film, it was just like the visuals were very. The blood was very red. Yeah. There was a lot of violence, uh, a lot of sex. Oh, my favorite shot. Uh, there's a stripper who's like about to reveal her like bottom half. Like she pulls her skirt yeah. away. The movie can't show that. So it cuts to this butterfly decoration in the back of the club that is like explicitly Yannick. Like it has yeah. like a oh, vagina totally. shape on yeah, the wall. I remember that. Yeah. Fantastic stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. It's kind of like what you were saying about dog soldiers. Like, it is just a badass movie. Its entire purpose is to be cool every scene. Yeah. And it is. It feels just as icky in a lot of ways. Like there's a lot of sexual abuse in it um, from the gang to the person who was wronged, which also happened in Lady Snowblood when we talked about that. It was like mm-hmm. not a comfortable watch, mm-hmm. but it is like crazy, sexy and cool yeah. at all times. And the the main character loves women. You know, yeah, he, he, he has an earnest appreciation for like... And and he is so like sweet and tender to the tiger woman too. When they have like intimate moments, you know, she's been abused by all these men and he's just like kissing her arm, you know, and very loving towards her. Yeah, all the machismo is coming from the gang and not yeah, from him necessarily. Right. So it's yeah, and so that is like it's it's evil. Like the machismo is evil and he is this like loving wolf spirit yeah. man. Okay, maybe this is not essential werewolf cinema. <laughs> maybe this is essential martial arts cinema. Yeah. But if you've seen Wolfman and American Werewolf in London, like you could do worse throwing yeah. this into a pile of werewolf oh, movies. Yeah. Just as like an outlier, like weirdo take yeah. on the mythology, I think. And holy shit, the tiger effects were incredible. So cool. yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the, like, the gore mm-hmm. when the tiger's like ripping... Their flesh, like <laughs> we should be specific too. She never transforms into a tiger no. either. No, no, no. We see like a tiger, like transposed on top of the image, like mm-hmm. uh, yeah. after the men are attacked. It's like who could have done this? There was no one on the scene, and then a tiger is just like uh, <laughs> transparently like right? projected onto the uh, screen. So cool. Yeah, I don't know. That was a very cool movie. Very strange. Um, it has a lot of the things I liked about Lady Snowblood, which I think is a better movie than this mm-hmm. overall. But like, yeah, you could see video store nerds like Tarantino, like watching this in the 80s being like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, That's how I felt. I felt like, you know, your stoned out college days. Like, dude, you got to check out this. This movie's wild. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, it was totally that vibe. And then by the time we were in college in the 2000s, we had dog soldiers for that, which I feel like is a <laughs> huge step down. <laughs> yeah, that's a step down. <laughs> I don't know that werewolves are my favorite main monster. Yeah. My favorites in the genre are the ones that Hannah mentioned earlier. Like I really like Ginger Snaps. I really like In the Company of Wolves. I really like The Howling Till Your Sister's a Werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, those aren't essential werewolf movies. Those are like gender flipped, like subversions of what werewolves are. And werewolves are Lon Chaney Jr. getting so horny that he flips out and kills people and feels bad about it later. And I think, yeah, the genre is more macho than I originally assumed because I so so closely gravitated towards like the feminine end of the genre before. But I I do think that's why I find the genre kind of interesting as like 
a man pumped full of testosterone. <laughs> you are so roided out right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just like watching these movies made me feel like I'm like jacked up on steroids. Did you go work out after? Yeah, I just want to like pump some iron, you know? <laughs> and I think American Werewolf in London, I think that does the best job of turning that feral like male energy into something like really interesting and then also like kind of showcasing the shame associated with it but yeah i'm much more drawn to like the feminine lunar cycle like folklore like almost like selkie ish like transformation kind of makes more sense yeah right <laughs> just like <laughs> culturally how we think about like cis women like it's it just makes more sense you yeah know? There should just be more women monsters in general. Yes. I was looking at um, the Universal box set and like Dracula's daughter and Bride of Frankenstein are the only two. And in Bride of Frankenstein, the bride shows up in the last three minutes of the movie. Mm. And Dracula's daughter is the only one that is like in the entire picture. Kind of a boys club, you know? Yeah. Maybe yeah. men are just too scared of women already. Right. <laughs> <It's totally laughs> we don't need a power. movie about it. <laughs> Well, next episode, we are going to talk about Dracula and Frankenstein, but not necessarily the Universal movies. We're going to go to that 90s wave of Bram Stoker's Dracula, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the Kenneth Branagh and Francis Ford Coppola movies. Mm. But kind of impossible not to touch on the Universal stuff when you're talking about those, because they're kind of like polished remakes of it, the same way that John Lannish polished the original Wolfman a little bit, Mm. too. And uh, beyond that, you know, we are going to talk about horror stuff for the rest of the month, and we are going to be at... ACAB Zine Fest at Gasa Gasa, October 22nd. See y'all there. Bye. Bye. Werewolves of London. Well, I saw Long Cheney walking with the Queen. In the werewolves of London I saw Long Cheney Jr. walking with the Queen Doing the werewolves of London I saw a werewolf drinking a pina colada at Trader Vic's His hair was perfect